I want to remind you that tomorrow is the National Day of Prayer. And we're going to have the building open from 7 to 7. So if you want to come by on your way to work and uh, slip in and have a season of prayer, uh, we're going to be open. And we will be open all day into 7 in the evening uh, for you to come and let's cry out to God for our nation because I don't think we've ever needed prayer worse in the history of our nation. And so I want to let you know about that. Now let's all stand together, can we? And I'm dismissing two fine of the rocks, right? Yes. Where's George Dawson? Where'd he go? You're teaching for him, Brendan. Okay. All right. George's fine of the rock class can go right out this way towards the back. And you're going with Brendan. And then Valerie's class is going right back this way, finding the rock. So God bless all of you in Valerie's class. And you're free to go. And it's good to have all of you here to go through Philippians. We're drawing close to the close of Philippians. And while I've got you standing and looking, looking at me, let me tell you what we're going to be doing after Philippians. I usually go through books. But we're putting together a new arm of ministry for our church. And it has to do with healing. A healing ministry. We're going to open up a healing room. And we're going to train people to visit hospitals for us, with us, and to stand in the altar and pray for the sick. So, in a, so let me tell you what we're doing real quickly, because I don't want to keep standing too long. Uh, but um, I'm going to take you through eight weeks of healing teaching. And we want to get your names, your serial numbers, your SS. No, I'm kidding. Not, not all that. We want your names though. We want your, and we're going to give you three options. Do you want to visit hospitals? Do you want to help us pray for people in the altar? Or do you want to be involved in the healing room? Now I'm going to explain the healing room later in greater detail, but you will get that option. You will check it. And if you don't want to be involved in any of them, you just want to come here and hear the word. That's fine. Believe me, because at first, uh, there may not be just kajillions of opportunities, but as we grow, there will. And we need your name and what you feel called to. So for the first time in a long time, I'm not going to go through a book on Wednesday night, but I'm going to go through eight weeks of healing teaching. What did Jesus say about healing? What does the Bible say about healing? How do you deal with people who got prayer and didn't get healed and how do you deal with disappointment? And it's very instructive and it's very good. We're borrowing or using uh, the basic curriculum from Gateway. They have given me permission to modify it for our church, and I've done that. So when we're done with Philippians, we're going to be starting that. And I encourage you, if you don't want to be in any of those three ministries, come and hear this teaching because it's nothing but Bible. I mean, it's nothing but the Word of God. And we're going to believe God to start healing some folks. Amen? All right. So I'm just throwing that out there to let you know where we're going after Philippians. How many of you have worried yet this year? How many, anybody here not worried about something this year? Okay, we've all worried, right? 
How many of you worry today? Tell the truth. You worry today. How many of you are worried right now about what you're going to hear? <laughs> All right. We're going to look at what the Bible says about worry. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you right now that this powerful book of Philippians is teaching us so much about life. And what we're going to learn tonight, Lord, is one of the ways, one of the pathways to experiencing true joy. And we pray that you will help us, Lord, to shed that worrying spirit and walk in the peace of God. Now, will you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to me and deliver me from worry and fear. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you're seated, turn to your neighbor and say, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Amen. God is good all the time. Now, last time we saw that Paul directly addressed two women in the Philippian congregation, encouraging them to stop their squabbling. And uh, the great apostle knew the power of unchecked dissension or discord in a body of believers and sought to nip it, as Barney Fife used to say, say it with me, nip it in the bud. Look at all of those watchers of Annie Griffith. Nip it, nip it in the bud. All right, he was nipping it. And before it grew worse, because sin never stays the same. Sin is progressive. And you've got, you've got to nip it. You've got to stop it. You've got to arrest it. So that's what, he, that's what he taught. Now, this time Paul moves on to the problem of worry. His words could not be more practical or needed in our day of national angst, fear, uncertainty, and yes, runaway worry. Our nation's never been more uptight than it is right now. Probably all the way back to the Civil War is how far back you'd have to go. The level of discord and division and dissension that's in our country. It's bad. Now, there's a lot of fear out there, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of runaway worry. And I think everybody in here struggles with worry one point or another. Now, I've told you very transparently in the past that I was raised in a worrying family. I was. My dad was a worrier. Everybody on my dad's side of the family were worriers. They all lived in New York, but if you wanted to worry about it in Texas, you could call them and they'd worry about it for you in New York. They were, you never talked to them on the phone. They weren't worried about something. And so my dad was a good guy, cons natural conservative in his thinking, uh, um, very level-headed, steady individual, but he did have a problem with worry. Hypochondriacal, that is always worried about something being wrong physically, um, so on and so forth. So I learned early on that one of the ways you dealt with stress was to worry about it. And when I got saved, the Lord began to deal with me about the worry and showed me that worry has a level of torment because fear is always attached to worry. As a matter of fact, worry is backward faith. Faith, God kind of faith, Bible faith, is the confident expectation of something good coming your way. It is, it is believing in what you don't yet see, but you know that it's coming and that it's a good thing. As one preacher used to say, something good is going to happen to you today, uh, going to happen to you today. But worry says something bad is going to happen to you 
today. Worry expects the bad like faith expects the good. So it's really a kind of demonic faith or hellish faith, worry. You're anticipating that something bad is coming down the road just around the corner. Something bad's going to be there. That's the spirit of worry. We all struggle with it. It strikes out of nowhere, robs us of our peace, and you can't have joy if you're full of worry. And so the epistle of joy, Philippians, would not be complete without teaching us how to be free from worry. Anybody in here want to be free of worry? All right, let's look at it. Now, the word worry in the Greek language means, quote, to be divided, distracted, drawn into different parts, literally. You are of a distracted, preoccupied mind. It's very destructive because worry means that we can't fully concentrate on something because our minds are preoccupied with other things. They are divided. We have divided minds if we're worried. It can be about being sick. It can be about money. It can be about relate. Whatever, whatever it is that you're worrying about, you can't fully focus on a task at hand because you're preoccupied. So it affects everything. You know, you're kind of there, kind of not. Somebody's talking to you and you're sort of there, but you're sort of not because your mind is, the wheels are turning on other stuff, what you're worried about. Worry divides the mind, splitting our thoughts between today and tomorrow. And guess what? When you're worried, today stands no chance against it. You can't enjoy today because you're worried about tomorrow. And that's just the way that it is. Now, worry affects our job performance. It affects relationships. It affects our walk with God. Everything is touched by a worrying mind. Have you ever been unable to sleep because you were thinking about something that was bothering you? We've all experienced that, right? I mean, the bills are due and you don't know where the money's coming from and you just can't sleep. Or you're, you're awake, you're being kept awake by something that you are worried about. Have you ever left your house, driven to the store, walked inside and suddenly began worrying whether or not you turned off the coffee pot? Or locked the door. Or made sure the pets had water. That's me. Did I leave them water? Or did I leave that fan going on the ground where if they knocked it over, it could cause a fire? And you're, you're walking through and you're trying to do something else and you're all preoccupied with what you're worried about. Worry over even silly things can wear you down emotionally and physically. Worry can make you sick. People say, I'm worried sick. You got that right. Because you do get worried until you're sick. It breaks down your immune system. It breaks down your resistance to sickness. How many times have you been really worried about something and then got sick? A cold, flu, something. Because it breaks you down. Worry breaks you down. A respected biblical scholar wrote about a woman who realized that fears were ruining her life. She began to keep track of what was worrying her, and here's what she found. 40% of the things she worried about were about things that would never happen. I think Mark Twain said, I've worried about a lot of things in my life, and most of them never happened. So 40% of the things this woman was worried sick about never happened. 
They never happened. She just thought they would. 30% of the things she worried about were about things that had already happened, already happened. So water under the bridge. She's worried about what's already taken place, which you can't do anything about because it's done, right? So there's 70% of what she was worried about so far. Then she noted that 12% of the things she worried about were about other people's opinions. And when she thought about it, she realized that criticisms, criticisms are often made by those who are jealous or insecure and therefore unjust just criticism is a disguised compliment. Don't worry about what people think. Worry about what he thinks. Because people will bless you one day, curse you the next. You're a hero one day, you're a zero the next. They're slapping you on the back one day and stabbing you in the back the next. That's people. Come on, everybody. Don't worry about what people think. Now, worry about your testimony. Be concerned about your testimony. That matters. But don't walk around worried about what people are thinking about you all the time. Guess what? They're probably not. Okay? 10% of the things that she worried about were needless health worries, which made her health worse as she worried. Only 8% of the things she worried about were legitimate, since life has some real problems to meet. 8% out of 100 was legitimate that this woman worried about. Now, there are many ways you can deal with worry. You can take something, drink something, smoke something. Isn't that what half our nation's doing or more? But guess what? That doesn't solve a thing because you always come down. And guess what? Same problems that took you to that drug or that alcohol are there when you come too. And they're a little bit worse. Nope. The Bible way is the best way because the Bible is the universal wisdom of God. And if anybody knows how to take care of worry, it's God. And Paul shares it with us. He begins with chapter 4, verse 6. I want everybody to say these next four words with me like you're preaching to me. Ready? Be anxious for nothing. Did it say be anxious about 8%? So even her 8%, God doesn't want you worried about. Even if it's legitimate, don't worry about it. Because let's see it again. Be anxious for no thing, nothing. Don't worry about anything. Can we really do that? With practice you can. By faith you can. Putting yourself into the right rhythm and the right response to God and stress, you can. Jesus commanded us several times not to worry. In his masterpiece on life and living, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked a lot about worry in chapter 6. You ought to read chapter 6. But we're going to look at a few of, uh, of Jesus' statements about worry. Matthew six twenty seven. what does he say? Can all your worrying add a single moment to your life, can it? It can take a few moments away from your life. It can put you in the grave early. Now, Matthew 6, 28, read it with me. Why are you worried about your life? Now, let's look at Matthew 6, 31 to 32. Jesus said, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? 
What will we drink? Oh no, what are we going to wear? I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't believe they've got tennis shoes out there now that are 200 bucks. And, the, and they're fighting for them. And there, there, are, there are rushes in, uh, in these department stores. There are mob scenes in department stores to get in there and get these tennis shoes as if their life is going to end if they don't get these Michael Jordan sneakers. But Jesus said, I mean, they're killing each other on the way into the store to get sneakers. And then on the way out, they're mugging them and, and, and hurting them to get sneakers. It's insane. Jesus said, what are you worried about? What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? He said, these things dominate. Catch that. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers who have no God. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. He already knows. But can you imagine being an unbeliever and you've got no God and it's all up to you? Can you imagine that? There's no providing God. There's no God who knows about what you need. No God that knows about your problems. And it's all on you, dude. It's all on you. And you've got to make it happen. And you've got to take care of you. And you've got to get all these things. But the believer, uh-uh. It is not to dominate our mind. Do you know what? Read this with me out loud. Something dominates everybody's day. I'm talking about between your ears, in your thought life, something dominates your thoughts. And whatever dominates your thoughts dominates your day. The Gentiles, Jesus said, were preoccupied with material stuff, material things. What am I going to eat, drink, and wear? But those who know God as their providing Father should be occupied with the affairs of His kingdom and not worried about what you're going to eat, drink, and wear. Why? Because if you're always worried about what you're going to eat, drink, and wear, you've got a divided mind and you cannot fully concentrate on the kingdom of God. Because you've got a divided mind. So Jesus wants us delivered from a divided mind so that we can focus on his work. Fully, completely, like laser beams. Our thoughts can be dominated by what is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, or of a good report. Which is from Philippians 4, 8, which we're going to look at next week. And is this powerful? Your thought life next week. But now, we can, we can be thinking about those things, true, just, honest, pure, lovely, good report, whatever is virtuous, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report. Think on these things. Don't let worry dominate your day. Or we can be dominated by destructive worrying. And a lot of people, I'm telling you, they live that way. They wake up worrying, they go through the day worrying, and they go to bed worrying. They live in worry. Somebody said the reason why worry kills more people than work is that more people worry than work. I think that's true. And another person quipped, worry is a dark room where negatives are developed. I like that. 
Jesus taught us not to worry about three things. And I want you to catch this now. We are not to worry about three things commanded by Jesus Christ not to. Here they are. Material provisions, what you will eat, drink, and wear. Second, things you cannot change, like your height. (laughs) Or what God, let let, let me tell you something. There's some things you can't change. And I'm going to answer that phone wherever it is. I'm just going to go answer it and say hello. Then we are not to worry about tomorrow, for it's not here yet. So say with me, material provisions, things we can't change, and tomorrow. We're not to worry about those three things. Now, concerning our worry over material provisions, he turns our attention to our loving, caring, providing Father in heaven. And he says, I tell you this, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat and drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Is not life, Jesus is reasoning with us now. He says, is not life more important than food? Isn't there more to life than just getting your next meal? That's the way the animals live. We're not animals. We are not evolved monkeys we are created human beings and and how do animals live from meal to meal to meal to meal jesus said don't you live that way in your life as a human being more expansive broader wider higher deeper than that is not the body more important than clothes then he says they're outside i can just picture jesus walking down a path with the disciples and there's some birds and he points at them he says he says look at the birds up there in the sky look at those sparrows those cardinals those blue jays whatever they were seeing i want you to look up there and let me tell you about those birds they don't plant seeds and and they don't gather grain they don't put grain into a building to keep in other words they don't have a retirement fund Yet your Father in heaven feeds them. I know how he feeds them. He uses people like me. I feed birds every day. But you know what? I've watched them. And and they get out there and they're geniuses at foraging and finding food in the most amazing places. They know. They're not worried about it, uptight about it. They know God. Well, they're not thinking my heavenly Father will feed me. But they have instinct that it's there. The food is there. God made it and God takes care of the tiniest lowliest sparrow Jesus is drawing an illustration almost of absurdity to make a point he says are you not more important than that sparrow aren't you more important than that little bird out there that lives about a year and dies I didn't die for the sparrows and I didn't die for the animals and I didn't die for the fish I died for human beings aren't you more important than them and if God he goes on he says he says if God feeds them won't he feed you we're to view our heavenly father as he who shall take care of our basic needs now let me tell you what that doesn't mean that doesn't mean you sit out in your backyard in a hammock and say my God's going to take care of me 
Because look what the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. If any man refuses to work, he should not eat. Well, could I preach that on ABC, CBS, NBC, CNBC, CNN, MSNBC, and Fox? We're living in an entitlement culture that has an attitude. You owe me. The government owes me a living. Can I tell you something? The government doesn't owe you squat. Nothing. Nothing. God created a principle way back in the Garden of Eden. Even before they fell, Adam had a job. He said, as you till this garden, it's going to produce fruit and it's going to feed you. In the very beginning, God created work, yields food, yields life. But now we've been all messed up in this entitlement thinking. The Bible knows of no such thing. If you're able, if you, now it's one thing if you can't go out and get a job and you can't work, you're disabled, something is wrong, then there's no one in, the, in this country that would feel wrongly about helping you. But if you are able-bodied and you're living off the government, listen, that's not right. Because you're letting me foot your bill because I pay taxes. Boy, do I pay taxes. I don't even like to look at it. We all do. But see, if you're living off the government when you could work, nothing is free. Don't let them tell you it's free. It's not free. It's coming from me and others who pay taxes. Now, this had nothing to do with worry. I just had to get that off of my chest. <laughs> Uh, now here's what it does mean that God will take care of you God will provide for us the basic necessities of life as we seek him and as we do what we know is right you know you say well I'm looking for my golden opportunity well if it's not there get something under the golden arches and and do that until the golden opportunity And, and believe me I've done what I'm preaching right now I've done it. When I graduated college, I just knew I was ready to take the world for Jesus. I graduated right in the middle of of the 80s recession. And here I was. I walked across that stage, took that diploma, and went straight into No Jobsville. And so I I started hanging wallpaper. I started painting office complexes. I started selling mace. Yes, mace. It was called Defender. Mace. It was bad stuff. I was the second best salesman in Dallas, but it was 100% commission. And every time I was doing these different things, putting up that wallpaper, painting those, nothing wrong with doing that, but that wasn't what my degree was for. I had to say this to myself. I have a wife and a child at home. I'm going to put bread on the table, and I'm not going to look to Uncle Sam to do it. Jesus did not say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Give us this day, O government, our daily bread. He said, Heavenly Father, give us this day our daily bread. Now, the old nursery rhyme says it best. I love this. Set a robin to a sparrow. I would really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, I suppose that it must be. They have no heavenly Father such as cares for you and me. But we do. 
We do. And that's the difference. That's why we can live undistracted, undivided. Now, concerning the things we cannot change, don't worry about material provision and don't worry about the things you cannot change. Jesus said, which of you can make himself a little taller by worrying? See, I was quoting the Bible when all of you laughed a minute ago. Because you got somebody you kind of imagine they're a little bit short and they wish they were taller and they're worried about it. And they're looking in the mirror, when am I going to grow? And they reach about 20, 21 years old and it becomes clear, well, you've grown all you're going to grow. And then they say, well, I wish that I was taller. How am I going to handle being this short? How am I going to get by in life not being taller? Why did God not make me taller? I'm not going to be able to get a job like tall people. I'm not going to be as attractive to the opposite sex as tall people. I'm really worried about my height. (laughs) And then you hear about Napoleon and others who shook the world as short people. He's making a point. Here's what he's saying. There's things in life you cannot change. There's some things in life you can't change. If it's not your height, it's the color of your eyes, the way your hair is, or that you have no hair, or whatever it is that you can't change. Jesus said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about what you can't change. What's the use in worrying about things you have no control over? Worrying changes nothing. It's a useless waste of time and energy, worry. You can worry all day about it, but you're not going to grow after all of your worrying. It's not going to happen. I have found that there is great peace in accepting that which I cannot change. Now, I want you to hear that statement. There comes a time when you realize there's certain things that can't change, I am what I am, I am who I am, I am what God made me to be, and I can't change that. So, I must accept that God intends to make the most out of what he made me to be. And can I tell you something else? You'll never be any better than you. You can't do you any better than you. And there's something that God has called you to do, I can't do it as well. Because you're you, and I'm me. And God don't make no junk. Isn't that right? He doesn't make any junk. So you accept what he made you to be. There's some things you can't change. That means that if I can't change it, that God, God intends to sustain me by his grace. And use what he made me to be. And you have to know that. And you know what happens when you do that? You accept yourself. You accept what God made you to be. And what a rest that brings. You're not trying to be somebody else. You're not trying to look like somebody else. You're not trying to talk like or act like somebody else. I read an article a couple weeks ago about plastic surgeons. And these plastic surgeons were saying, people come in here, and now of course these were plastic surgeons in California, in the Hollywood area. And they were saying, the people were coming in and saying, I want this actor's jaw. I want this actress's nose. I want this actress's cheekbones. I want, and they would bring in pictures of these actors and actresses and say, I want you to make me as close to this as you can. What a tragedy. Because God didn't make you to be them. 
God made you to be you. And there is such power in resting in who God made you to be. Anybody hearing me tonight? I mean, you remember when you were a teenager, you were so insecure about who you were, thought you were too skinny, too fat, too tall, too short, whatever. You get to a place where you go, God made me to be me, and I'm just going to rest in that, and I'm going to quit trying to be like any but Mr. Popular, Miss Popular, whatever. I'm me. You're you. Rejoice in who God made. Amen? Just that simple. Now, if I can't change the way I look, for instance, then I should learn to accept how God has made me. The bottom line is, worry changes nothing. It's not an answer to your problem. It is like running on the proverbial hamster's wheel, going nowhere fast. So don't worry about material things, and don't worry about what you can't change. Then Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have its own worries. The troubles we have in a day are enough for one day. You ever notice that? This day is all I can handle. I've, how many of you can say about today? Today's about all I can handle. All right? Because today has enough problems of its own. Here's what Jesus is saying. Worry about tomorrow is interest paid on tomorrow's imagined troubles. If you're worried about tomorrow, you're paying interest on a tomorrow that's not here yet. You're wasting your time. We fear we're going to lose a job, and we expend energy, sleep, and peace worrying about tomorrow. We fear that something is wrong with us physically, and we worry for weeks before getting exam results back. We pay interest on troubles that may or may not ever come. Have you ever done this? Oh, I'm so worried about that job next week. A lot of people being laid off. Boy, I'm worried about this. I am uptight about this. No, no, remember, Jesus said, I'm going to take care of you no matter what happens with your job. I'm going to take care of you. You've got a heavenly father. Since we don't know what tomorrow brings, and God is in charge of all of our tomorrows, we should trust him with what we don't yet see. The psalmist said he prepares a table before me, not a landmine. God is preparing a feast before you, a table of blessing before you. That's what God does. You know what hope is? Confident expectation of good in regards to the future. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and give you a hope. Jeremiah 29, 11, my favorite Bible verse. Think this way. There will be plenty of things to come along today to occupy your time without borrowing from what you fear tomorrow may bring. James wrote, read this with me, yet you do not know the least thing about what may happen tomorrow. Well, I just feel it's in my gut. I feel something bad is coming. That's not God. Thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Tackle life, says Jesus, one day at a time. Now next, so say with me before I go on now, don't worry about it. What is that old saying, don't worry? Be happy. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Come on. We can, we can not worry. We can be happy. 
You say, Pastor Jeff, you saying the bad things never happen? Not at all. Bad things happen all the time. But even at that, God says, my grace is going to be there. And I won't keep all bad things from happening, but I will sustain you through the bad things. I will hold you up and I'll work it for your good. I'm not saying he's giving you a rose garden. Every rose has its thorns. I promise you, life is full of thorns. But he's going to give you the grace to walk through it. You don't fear tomorrow. Now, Paul directs us next to the things we uh, want. Anybody in here want anything? How many of you have prayed about something today you want God to do? All right. Look at verse 6. Read it with me. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests, and I went, I did that. Let your requests be made known to God. In how many things? In everything. Why do we have to pray about it? Why can't God, if he knows I already need it, why won't he just lay it on me? Why do I have to pray? Prayer is one of the great mysteries, it is, of God's administration of the universe. We don't really know how prayer works, but God arranged it to encourage us to come to him. Why do we have to pray for it? Because God wants us coming to him. If he has laid it on us, we'd never go talk to him. We'd never find a prayer closet. We'd never get into the word. We'd never seek him. He's just laying it on me. God says, I know what you need, but I want you to ask me for it so that you'll be with me. He wants to hear from us often, and he loves it when we linger long. Our requests are known to God already, yet he loves to hear us ask. And he loves to answer us. I'm convinced of it. He loves to answer us. That's why you better be careful. When he answers you, you praise him and give him the glory because he just answered a prayer. Nothing is more dishonoring to God than his children begging somebody else for what is his joy and responsibility to provide for us. In a day of entitlement thinking where so many look to the government to take care of them, you can tell what was on my mind, can't you? When so many look to the government to take care of them, this truth should ring a bell for all of God's children. The government is not our provider. Jehovah Jireh is. Period. We are to come to God about everything. He says, in everything, by prayer, he cares about every detail of your life. He's flung wide open the gates to his presence. He says to us, come and tell me all about it. Talk to me. Tell me about your needs, the small ones, the great ones. Tell me about your worries. Tell me about your fears. Tell me about your doubts. Do you think you're going to say anything to God where he's going to go, well, I'll be. Never. You don't ever inform him of anything. He just wants you to tell him. Tell me about your worries, your fears, your doubts. If you doubt me, tell me. Lay the full weight of your burden onto me. He's not going to rebuke you for saying, you know, Lord, I'm struggling with believing you for this. Tell him. I remember one time I told God, several times I've done this, I've said, Lord, I'm having trouble believing you for this. 
help thou mine unbelief. And he always did. Now next Paul gives to us the secret of a guarded thought life and we're going to close out with this. Read verse 7 because this is all this stuff about worry is leading up to this end result. So read it with me. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. So if you don't pray about it, don't gripe that you don't have peace because prayer precedes peace. Now, once we have placed every care and need into the nail-scarred hands of our Redeemer, God's peace will flood our hearts. That's the promise. This same divine peace kept Paul's mind and his heart. Now, the word translated guard, the peace of God will guard your heart and mind through Jesus Christ. That word guard means kept with a garrison or kept in custody. Peace of God will arrest you and keep you in its custody. Between us and threatening circumstances is a garrison. God's peace keeps us in custody. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. And oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. We forfeit our peace if we don't pray about it. Now, how does this happen for us? Paul says you get that peace through Jesus Christ. It's the only way. It's what the drunk is searching for in the bottle. I'm convinced of it. The drug addict in his next hit. The philosopher in all of his search for meaning. And the lonely person's desperate quest in all their relationships. What are they looking for? The peace that passes all understanding. You can't get it from the bottle. You can't get it from the drug. It comes through Jesus Christ. That's it. Peace, that is true peace, peace of soul and mind, that is no longer at war with God, is found only in Christ. It was Christ Jesus who brought the peace of God to earth. The angels announced to the shepherds by night, Quote, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. The peace that Jesus enjoyed when he was on earth was unshaken by conflict, criticism, crisis, or even the cross. At all times and in all places, under all circumstances, Jesus rested in his Father's perfect will. Do you live that way? I've learned if I catch myself getting uptight, short-tempered, kind of befuddled feeling, I know I need to pray about something. Because the believer should live in peace. That's not high ivory tower theological teaching. Every Christian should live in peace. At all times. In everything. And when Jesus appeared to his frightened disciples in the upper room following his resurrection, what did he say to them? Preach it to me. Peace. That's what he said to them. He brings peace. This peace is ours as praying children of God. And next week I'm going to talk to you about your thought life. It's powerful stuff. Don't miss it, but let's stand tonight.
me ask you a question. Do you believe what you just heard? Do you? Do you believe it's part of your inheritance as a believer to walk in peace? I hope so. I hope you don't live in a disturbed, agitated, worried state of mind all the time. I've been there. And God had to deliver me. And it was a deliverance. I had to retrain my mind not to worry. And I did it. And I just want to say to you and everybody listening by radio or by video, I pray that you as a believer live in peace and walk in peace. And if you don't have peace, there's something you need to pray about and give it to God in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Take your request to him. Lord, I don't know about this relationship. I don't know about this job. Lord, I'm, I'm losing my peace about this plan of action I've been considering taking. Lord, for some reason, my peace has left me. Can you show me why? Because his, his will is that we walk with peace, keeping us in custody. So I want us to pray tonight. Can we just lift our hands to the Lord Jesus? It begins by refusing to worry. Don't worry about material things. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't be a worrier. Give all of your worries to God. And let his peace take you into custody. Can we just say, Lord, I just cast all my care upon you tonight. I give you my finances, my relationships, my physical health, temptations that might be assailing me. I pray about it. I'm not going to worry about material provision. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. I give it all to you. Now, Lord, put your peace on my heart. Take me into custody with your peace. I receive that mighty peace in Jesus' name. I believe you're my healer. Now lift it and sing it with me now. I believe you are. 